The Artificial Intelligence Podcast. AI in real life. According to an infamous tale about Lia Wang when she was little, my first answer to what do you want to be when you grow up was a professional violin player. Let me explain to you why this was worrying. One, what four-year-old wants to become a professional violin player? Um, a very pretentious one. Luckily at that age, it was still kind of cute. Two, the white half of my family basically believed from that moment on that the stereotype of tiny Asians playing tiny violins was not a stereotype, but in fact, a genetic truth. Three, the Asian half of my family went in mourning. How would they ever turn this hopeless girl into a doctor, a lawyer, or a business owner now? Parents all over the world, never fear. Music is about to become a whole different ballgame because of AI. In this episode, I'll introduce you to Drew Silverstein, award-winning composer turned MBA graduate turned startup founder and one of Forbes's 30 under 30. We pretty much started our interview with Drew like we always do, but then, wait for it. I majored in music composition as uh, well as studying Italian at Vanderbilt University. And after that, you became a composer for uh, game studios and movie studios. And when did you start thinking uh, there's more to this? It's absolutely correct. I wrote music for blockbuster movies and and TV shows and video games. And what often would happen is uh, I'd work with directors and producers and editors who would say, look, we love working with you and we have time and budget to focus on music as an artistic part of our process. But for a lot of the content we create, we have neither of those two ingredients. And often that means we're forced to use production or stock music. And they'd go on to say that stock music, production music is something that's really frustrating to them. They really don't enjoy it, uh, often because of the time it takes to search for the music, the lack of creativity, uniqueness, collaboration, and certainly the existence of many legal and financial licensing hurdles. Yeah, so they wanted uniquely created music, but they basically didn't have the resources for it. Exactly. And so we said, look, uh, or I should say they said to us, "Could could you just write the music for us instead? And Oftentimes, we disappoint them and say, you know what, we actually can't because the economics are so different going from a boutique film music studio to mass licensing. And they were disappointed. But then we said, look, as composers, our job is to translate emotion into music and music into emotion. So we suggested, what if we build a creative AI that gives you the same collaborative experience of working with us? but within the time and efficiency and economic framework that you need. And this being Los Angeles, of course, their answer was, great, can we have it by Friday? And <laughs> really? we said, we're glad you I, like the idea. I would have expected them to say, you know, an, an, a computer creating music, you're crazy. Well, I, I don't think it was for them to decide whether it's possible or not. They just liked the fact that we'd offered a solution to their problem. Yeah, they were like, and okay, if wanted- it's cheap and creative, we'll take it by Friday. Exactly. And so we had to say, well, hold on, you know, we're going to need a a little bit more time than that. And at this point, the company is now five years old. But uh, as I'm sure you and and your listeners know, you know, computer generated music is not a new idea. It's been around for as long as computers have been around. And algorithmic music has been around since at least the days of Bach. 
so what we were doing was not necessarily novel from a, an ideation perspective, but we f were fortunate to be able to have significant success in the implementation and execution of this idea to truly enable anyone around the world to be able to express themselves creatively through music, regardless of their background, expertise, or access to resources. Right. So um, say I would want something that's like acoustic sounding, mood-wise is adventurous and spirited, and um, length of the track is um, three minutes. And then, exactly. And then you would give me a piece of music of three minutes. That sounds like actual music. Yeah, Amper would compose that piece of music for you on the fly and would deliver it to you in a matter of seconds. Uh, from there, you'd have a professionally created, unique piece of music that's ready to use. And what's critical as well is that all the music that's created comes with a royalty-free global and perpetual license to use. So once you've made music on Amper, you're f free to use that in your content without restriction. So talk me through... Um, what happens behind the scenes? What happens in your system? Yeah, so the way Amper works at a high level is that we build data sets that describe music from a theoretical perspective, so music theory. We also describe uh, emotion and genre and mood and, as, and, and performance and instrumentation and orchestration and as many elements of the creative world as we can uh, as they relate to Amper. So music theory would be things like speed, um, the chords, and, and those kind of things? Sure, yeah. I mean, at, at a very fundamental level, right, we're talking, you know, what is key? What is tempo? What is harmony? What is rhythm? But then we also have to get to, you know, what makes someone feel um, excited? And what's the difference between feeling excited and, and feeling happy? Or what's the difference between feeling... Uh, sad and bittersweet. And so we build all of these really massive data sets that describe uh, emotion, describe music, and uh, describe genre. And how and did you build there, those data sets? Because that kind of labeling of, of sounds doesn't exist, right? It doesn't. And, and one of the uh, hardest things in our world is that there are no good large publicly available data sets in this. So it, it's quite um, a competitive advantage for us to have, been, to have spent five years and millions of dollars developing this because it's proprietary IP and proprietary data that allows us to then, in essence, fuel uh, and provide the right ingredients for our technology. Well, and, it's and I should also, say that's only part of the process. Yeah, but but I can imagine it's also, um, I mean, would I, a music nitwit, be able to label this data? Probably not. No, and in fact, most of the members of our team are professional composers or musicians, or at least have a very deep level of expertise in the field, in addition to being uh, an engineer or a product manager or... Um, a member of our asset team, which is the team that creates the data. Like how? So, Where do you find these people who are composers and product owners who like have a music education and study Italian and went to business school? Where do these people <laughs> exist, Drew? You know, there's more than people realize. And I think what's really great is when we think about Amper's role, uh, aside from the business objective of, of uh, providing creative expression tools to the world, um, we're also able to employ um, 
you know, dozens of, of individuals um, who have studied music, who want to uh, build careers in music and music technology, uh, and who are able to use their expertise and their background in a way that's incredibly meaningful, uh, incredibly fulfilling, and ultimately, uh, as we hope, quite impactful on the ultimate future of, of creative expression in the 21st century. Yeah, they're, they're fueling new types of creativity, which is a beautiful thing. So I asked him, so you have this huge label data set where I imagine every piece of music of maybe even a few seconds is labeled by key, how fast it is, but also by does it make me feel happy or not? And he answered... Uh, so I should clarify, because we're not actually labeling existing pieces, pieces of music. Uh-huh. Um, we find that, uh, that there, there are all sorts of reasons for that. Uh, but rather, we are describing how, how music exists. Uh, from, from scratch? A, somewhat, from, exactly, from scratch. Say what? And it just kept getting better and better. And what we are able to do is we're able to use the data that describes as much as possible around the world of music and creativity to then ultimately compose a piece of music. But then we've got to turn that composed music into audio. And so we have a recording studio in Los Angeles where we record every note of every instrument thousands and thousands of times to try to capture every possible way you'd ever play a violin, you know, every possible you'd ever play a piano or an accordion or a French horn, every dynamic, articulation, velocity, etc., etc., etc. And ultimately, we end up with millions and millions of very, very, very finite audio samples. That's incredible. And so what we're able to do is once we've created a piece of music, once we've composed the music, we're able to then stitch together tens or hundreds of thousands of audio samples into... Uh, one seamless piece of music that sounds like it was recorded professionally all in one go. Um, so help me understand what that looks like in practice. So does that mean, for instance, a French horn in B minor is described as maybe melancholy and a French horn in B minor then switching to a piano in, uh, in A major, for instance, is described as, I don't know, awakening or something. Is that how I should imagine it? Somewhat. So to be clear... You know, we're not necessarily describing the instrument in the key and, and associating that with um, an emotion. As much as what we're doing is capturing the French horn playing every note that's possible to be played by that instrument in every possible manner in which it could be played. And then we've got, in essence, this sample library of tens of thousands of very, very finite audio samples of that French horn playing. And once Amper's composed a piece of music... Right? And that's where we really try to figure out how could we write music if you wanted something that was going to be cinematic and soaring. Hmm. Right? We might write, Amper might compose for the French horn because that oftentimes is an effective um, use uh, of that instrument. And once we've composed for that music, we've got to perform that. We, you know, It doesn't help if it exists on paper. You've got to be able to hear the music to make it useful to our customers. And that's when we draw from the sample library to be able to create that music uh, and turn it from sheet music, more or less, into an audio recording. So your AI 
is actually composing from scratch. It's not mixing and matching and learning what what selection works best. It's actually taking those building blocks you've you've made and putting them together in a new way. That's absolutely correct. It's composing from scratch. Well, you, you can't see Maya, my editor's face right now, but we're basically lying on the floor, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you talked earlier about how we're translating. You're translating. Emotion to music, music to emotion, right? But that's um that's a subjective thing. Like what's cinematic and soaring to me might be, I don't know, um, sad and draining to you. Absolutely. And that's why one of the principles of Amper is that because music, like anything else in the creative world, is so subjective, and because there is no one right answer, then it then it's imperative that what we build and the system and technology that we deliver to our ultimate users, that it be collaborative and iterative so that if we make something for you, you're able to say, well, here's what I liked and here's what I didn't like and here's what I'd like to change and can we you know, change the instrumentation or, or respot this or, or whatever other feedback you'd like to provide. And, and once this... you provided that feedback, we're then able to iterate and Amper gives you a revision of that music in another matter of seconds. And in that way, it really mirrors the human-to-human creative and collaborative process. And, and does, does Amper then learn from my preferences like, like a human would? Like if we work together more, then we understand better what we mean with adventurous or cinematic. Is that the same way with Amper? Yeah, well, we certainly have the ability to do so, and, and how we implement that is very internal to us in terms of figuring out how can we use the information that customers and that users provide us in order to um, most successfully give them what they want. Because obviously one of the goals is to get a user to their desired piece of music as quickly as possible. Yeah. And to the extent that we're able to use um, – personalization to do that that it makes a lot of a lot of sense and because the system itself is is uh, aware of the subjectivity and is collaborative then we have certainly the ability to do so and i can imagine that that subjectivity is well part of it is sort of one-to-one personalization but part of it is also maybe um segmentations into you know cultural regions of the world, right? Music means something else in the U.S. and Western Europe versus in Asia or in South America. Exactly. I mean, it, it, there's there's so much subjectivity. And again, that's why we've got to design a system in the manner in which we do. And what's fascinating to me is at the core, um, music is something a lot of people never learn, right? It, it's very hard. And it's like, it comes down to maybe talent and like very early nurture. How do you, how did you figure out how to teach an AI to do something that most humans can't even learn? Sure. I mean, again, part of it is building the right data sets to teach our AI to, to power the technology to be able to create. Part of it is building that fundamental and, and quite proprietary technology that understands how to use the data that we design in a way that's effective and that creates a, a ultimately uh, good or successful piece of music for our users. Uh, and a lot of that's driven by our backgrounds as composers, as musicians, and understanding how the creative and collaborative relationship 
has typically worked between musicians and musicians, between musicians and non-musicians, as well as between non-musicians and non-musicians. Because you're composers and because you're creative people um, with a talent for music, you're able to to bring that to a level of, of abstraction that you can put into an AI. Exactly. So um, tell me about where you are with Amper right now, sort of in terms of scale, in terms of possibilities. Um, wh what can you do right now? Yeah, so Amper's got the ability to create virtually unlimited amounts of music, always unique. Um, and each piece of music takes literally a matter of seconds to create. Um, we are uh, available globally, and in fact, Amper's been used in something over 130 countries around the world, I believe. And what's wonderful is that you know, Amper's score, our, our main web app, is specifically designed for content creators, be they podcast creators like yourself or video editors, game developers, etc., who create content uh, and might otherwise license music. And there are so many of these individuals around the world that we're able to put Amper into their hands and, and it's priced in a way that is exceedingly um, valuable to content creators when they're using it. Uh, and you're able to ultimately create really good music very, very quickly and at a price that makes sense so that your creative vision for your content ultimately is as successful and comes across as accurately as possible. And then again, as I mentioned, for the API that we have, we integrate into content creation tools and content distribution platforms. And that's where we work with partners whose customers themselves are involved in the creation of content, whether they be consumer or, or enterprise focused, uh, enabling them to turn their creative ideas into reality. And where do you see this going? Like in, in five years from now, am I going to a concert that AI composed? Um, is the next Marvel series going to be powered uh, by AI music? Yeah, well, I think there's a distinction that we create uh, within media music between functional and artistic music. You know, functional music we define as that which is valued for its use case, but which is less valued for the collaboration and creation that goes into making it. Versus artistic music, which is valued for the collaboration and creation that goes into making it, and less for the use case. So as two very drastic examples, the music behind a video on social media might be m very much functional, whereas the score for uh, a Marvel movie is, is very much artistic. And our perspective is that for content creators who would otherwise license or, or, or use pre-created functional music, we're putting a tool in their hands that allows them to own the music and to create the music that they want to. So we're, in, we're franchising uh, and we're providing the democratization of technology or by the the democratization of technology, providing the ability for less musical individuals to join the musical class. Yeah, it's the democratization music of, of musicality. Exactly. And then on the other side, for those existing musicians and artists and composers, we're able to provide them tools and technology of a next generation that help further their existing music making in the same way that technology has always helped further the expression of creativity through music uh, for centuries. Yeah, it, it can give you ideas, it can trigger you, um, it can inspire you. Exactly. Hey, and Andrew, personal question. Would you ever go back to being a composer of artistic music? 
Sure, I'd love to. You know, I'm fortunate that my my role at Amper keeps me very busy, but also allows me to satisfy that kind of deep seated creative need. Uh, but uh, in a world where uh, I'm not, you know, focused on being the CEO of Amper, uh, I'd love to become or you know to re to pick up the the mantle of, of being an artistic composer again. I think it's an incredibly fulfilling uh, career, profession, and, and certainly artistic output. Yeah, so that's going to be there regardless of technology or not. Exactly. Now, how it's done will certainly change, but the the fundamental role of a composer being able to deliver artistic value will exist in perpetuity because that's part of what makes humanity humanity, which is the fact that we value art and we value the creation of art uh, with other humans. It's like the red thread through all of the conversations I've had. AI changes the how. It simplifies parts and thus allows humans to focus on what only we can do. It makes creativity accessible, scalable, and in doing so, it puts creators in the spotlights. Drew Silverstein, Amper Music. The OG AI. I've talked about movies, books, TV shows, but how about music? We can make music with and out of everything. And now, AI is making music. So let's take a look at music about AI. First, a little info about Grimes, the artist. Claire Elise Boucher from Canada is Grimes. Strangely enough, she's dating Elon Musk now, and that might be where you know her from best at this time. But there's always a but. She's a great musician, with a message, with a statement. And at the end of 2018, she released a song featuring Hannah called We Appreciate Power. When she released the song, it came with the following statement. Simply by listening to this song, the statement said, the future general AI overlords will see that you've supported their message and be less likely to delete your offspring. That is a message or a statement. But if we look about what the song is about, it's about an on K-pop inspired girl group who almost worship the AI in preparation for when AI will take over. In a New York Times article, Grimes explains some of the lyrics where you can feel the girl group being kind of scared. The lyrics go, people like to say that we're insane, but AI will reward us when it rains. Pledge allegiance to the world's most powerful computer, simulation, it's the future. She responds to these lyrics, how will humans and AI coexist? I don't know if AI has much motivation to wipe out humanity as people think. I'd be like, oh, I kind of like these humans, they made me. It would probably be like Thanos kill half of the people, just at random. But I'd still be interested in humans and maybe want to engage with them in some non-violent way. So, my dear people and my dear AI, let's create together beautiful stories on screen, on paper and in music. Live long and prosper. You know, I actually did get that violin. My mom thought that, if anything, at least it would teach me some discipline. It's still collecting dust on top of my bookshelf, but that's okay because AI is now more trainable, more creative, more accessible than I ever could be. 
The democratization of musicality and creativity. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Follow me for more at bnr.nl slash AI podcast or on your favorite podcast app.